We're looking at the Church of Jesus Christ. The Son of God brought into being a people from all backgrounds, all nations, all tongues, all stratas of society. These people came under the sound of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ by the apostles and all those that were preaching either to crowds, to synagogues, or just one-on-one. And there was a tremendous move of the Spirit of God in that early church. Oh, that we would see that worldwide today. And we do see it in many places, and we thank God for what we hear in many countries where the Spirit of God is moving in a mighty way. Well, we're going to remind ourselves of one of the most astounding miracles of the gospel, which is found in the chapter of Acts chapter 8. And as we turn to that, we realize that sometimes that fulfillment of Jesus' command to go into all the world came as a result of pressure and very unpleasant pressure. Because as you read the first verses of chapter 8, you read that there was great persecution. And the church in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria were under the threat of many who were opposing the preaching of the gospel. And so as a consequence and as a result, there were those who, according to verse 4, were scattered and went everywhere preaching the word. And Philip, one of the apostles or one of the leaders, went down into the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. Now you know that the Samaritans were not Israel's favorite people. They were seen as a mongrel race who had compromised their Judaism and had just intermarried with what was termed the heathen. So they were despised. And if you wanted to insult somebody and you were a Jew, you would say you're nothing but a Samaritan. But John 3.16, as Jesus said to Nicodemus, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes on him should not perish. Now the whosoever is also encompassing the despised, the rejected, the hated, those that we regard very lightly. And so down into Samaria, Philip went, and the Bible says in verse 6, that the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. And one of the first aspects was the unclean spirits coming with a loud voice out of many who were possessed. And many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Well, there sprung up by the great power of God and the power of the gospel, a church there in that region. This church would have delighted the Lord. It was a very, very unusual group of people. And as with all the Gentiles coming in, many of them had very little understanding 
very little biblical foundation. And so they were starting, as we would say, from scratch. And God was able to move because their hearts were open. In the book of Corinthians, we find a similar kind of people. We know that many of those that got saved in that early time when Paul went into Corinth were very, very, very soiled and defiled and darkened people. People similar to you and me. Those of us who didn't know the Lord and just lived our lives according to the dictates of the flesh. Now there was a schism in that church and it was one that was felt all throughout the known world, wherever the gospel came. Many believing Jews came into the sound of the gospel and became Christians, became devout believers, but they had a tremendous heritage in knowing the law, the prophets, and so on. Whereas the rank outsider, the Gentiles, came in and knew very, very little of a biblical foundation. So they brought with them all kinds of hang-ups and all kinds of, well, I suppose you'd say all kinds of misconceptions about the things of God. And there would be naturally, as it was in Ephesus, a, a bit of a schism between Jew and Gentile. And that's why Paul, when he was writing to the churches in Galatia and throughout Asia Minor and beyond, in fact, to all of the church, he had to admonish them and say to them, remember, there is in Christ neither Jew nor Gentile. We are all one in Jesus Christ. And one would hope that each and every one of those took, well, I would say, took notice and committed to that. The church that delights the Lord Jesus, he is the head of the church, and he is the one that has set down certain principles by which we operate. And you know those as well as I do. The need to be rightly related to the Lord through a repentance which is a way of life, not just a one-off act, but a repentant and humble spirit and also a yielded spirit to the Lord. We want to bring delight. We want to bring pleasure to the Lord. We want to do those things that please him. And we read in the 12th chapter of the book of Corinthians quite a tremendous series of statements of how the body of Christ is interwoven, interrelating, and of one mind and one heart. We read in chapter 12 and verse 12, For as the physical body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so is also Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, Jews or Greeks whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, verse 14 says, for in fact the body is not one member, but many. You see, 
in the eyes of the Lord, in the eyes of the Father, in the eyes of the Spirit that gives us all new birth, we are a brotherhood. We are the family of God. And this is something that has been lost in the Western church over a period of time for one reason or another. And we don't need to go into those causes, but we have become so professional. We have become so, I suppose, agenda-minded. I said agenda. That is, we've got a plan, we've got a purpose, we've got a vision, we've got an agenda. We are going to pursue that. And when persons are raised up of God, and that's undeniable, they have the touch of God upon their lives, we admire them, we sometimes are on the brink of hero-worshipping, adoring, and putting too much emphasis on the individual. But when we read this passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 12, we find that we are an interrelated body. And nobody can say, well, I'm not the hand, therefore I am not of the body. And we read that in verse 15 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You see, we are all part and parcel of that same body. Verse 16 says, And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he pleased. So there is no room for personal preference. There is no room for superiority or inferiority. There's no way that we put people on pedestals and others we relegate to being of not much consequence. No, we read on and we hear the saying of God through the Apostle, God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would that body be? Now, we're very familiar with the word disabled. And we say of a person who is in our minds, and literally is disabled, that part of their body or part of their brain or part of their being doesn't function. And we have a disabled church when we put all the emphasis on certain aspects and sectors of the body of Christ. If we say, ah, yes, the preacher, ah, yes, the pastor, ah, yes, the evangelist, and we ignore all the others that have contributing ministries. We are being very, very shallow, very foolish, and very immature. Now we'll read on, and we'll read verse 20 of 1 Corinthians 12. And I hope you've got your Bible with you. And now indeed there are many members, yet it's one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, 
nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honourable, on these we bestow great honour. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honour to that part which lacks, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. Then we read verse 26, and I'm sure you can quote this verbatim. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honoured, all the members rejoice with it. Now I know that there are times when in the body of Christ someone goes missing. Someone from the local church has gone through a hard time, maybe through sickness, maybe even through some other infirmity, mental illness, maybe there is depression or there's a problem there, and we should all sense that and feel that and seek to support that person. And then, of course, the unthinkable happens, that which we, we hate to even admit to, but we find people that have wandered away and gone their own way and have sought the world rather than the things of God. And our hearts break and our intercession is real and it's deep. And rather than condemn people, rather than point the finger and be an agitation to them, we reach out. Our desire is to see them restored because the body is incomplete without that person. And I think that it would be so good if we made contact with people that we know are in trouble or have got into some bother or have been entangled by the world. And rather than condemn them, rather than threaten them, rather than bring condemnation down, say, brother, we are missing you. Sister, we are not the same without you because that is, that is the biblical principle of 1 Corinthians 12. We cannot function without the whole body functioning in unity together. Now you are the body of Christ, verse 27, and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church. You see, he talks about the structure of the church. And yes, there are prominent ministries and functionings. And there are those that are less seen, but they are no less important. God has appointed these in the church. First, apostles. Second, prophets. Third, teachers. After that, Miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues, people that move in the realm of the prophetic, move in the realm of speaking in tongues, bringing a message of God into the service. How exciting that is when it operates. 
Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Well, verse 30 answers that. Do all have the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts, and I'll show you a more excellent way. He's virtually, in his questions, answering. He's saying, are we all one thing? No, we are all an integrated, interwoven fabric of united believers who are a mantle of God. And we bring blessing into the city where we are because of our unity, because of the power, because of the blessing, because of the glory of God that is manifest in the church. But what is this more excellent way? That's what he says here. Earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Well, what's the more excellent way? Well, the more excellent way is the way that will bring delight to the community, delight to the body of Christ, and most of all, the delight and favour of the Lord himself. And it's the 13th chapter. Oh, how often we take the 13th chapter out of its context and out of the fact that it's before the 12th and the 14th chapters of 1 Corinthians. It's placed there strategically so that we know that the church functions by the love of God which is in each and every one of our hearts. And he commences by saying, hey, these wonderful gifts and blessings and anointings that we have, they don't amount to much without love. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass, a clanging cymbal. Mm. And though I have the ability to see beyond the veil, though I am able to see into the eternal sphere and have the mind of God and am able to declare that, that is the gift of prophecy, and understand mysteries and all knowledge. Well, we know that none of us will always have all the mysteries and all the knowledge within one human being. When we are given the gift of knowledge, it is a word of knowledge, not knowledge itself, or we'd know everything. Well, we don't. It is a specific word for a specific situation and we have a word that applies to that situation and that knowledge and that wisdom that we have is for someone in the service so they are enabled to understand the will, the purpose of God and to move ahead where they've been somehow becalmed or bound up by their ignorance. He said, even though you were able to have all knowledge, all wisdom, all faith, understood all mysteries, having such faith that you could move mountains, 
But if you have no love, you're really nothing. And even if you are pouring your goods out to feed the poor and even face martyrdom, but you don't have it with a foundation of God's love, it profits nothing. And then he defines the love of God. And I won't take the time to do that today because, number one, you're very familiar with it. Number two, you know where to go to read it, 1 Corinthians 13. But you notice something very important. And it's in the last verses of chapter 13. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I had limited understanding as a child. I thought as a child. But when I matured, when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror, dimly, but then face to face. Now I know just in part. But then later on, in the eternal spheres, I shall know just as I also am known. And now there abides three qualities that make for essential living. Faith, hope, and love. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Now if, and we're explaining this in a practical way, if we are in a church where there is a tremendous flow of the gifts of the Spirit, whether it's the revelatory gifts, whether it's the vocal gifts, or whether it's the gifts of power, the gifts of power being the working of miracles, divers' healings over a period of time when there's sickness, there is a healing, that's a gift. And some people do have a ministry of praying for the sick, and they see remarkable results. And then the wonderful thing, the wonderful attribute that activates the healings, the miracles and so on, is a gift of faith. It's not the normal faith that we live by, where the Bible says we don't walk by sight, we walk by faith. It's beyond that. It's a gift or an impartation of faith for a miracle to take place. He says... Faith is essential. Hope is essential. That's looking ahead with confidence. And love is essential. But out of the three, the greatest is love. And so he commences chapter 14 and verse 1 with that thought. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. Now, you know, people will sometimes say, and I have heard them in evangelical circles. Oh, we don't need the gifts. I'm not a seeker of gifts. I just want the love of God. Well, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches this. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. You know, the wonderful incentive for every believer is as we go to fellowship in church, as we go to join together with those of like precious faith, 
we should be praying, oh God, Lord, bless us, use us. Give me an impartation of your spirit so that I am able to impart to the body of Christ something of worth, something of depth, something that edifies, something that encourages. And if it's motivated by love, it will be added in your prayer to sound like this. Oh Lord, I love the body of Christ. Lord, I love the glory that you get when miracles take place. I am so thrilled when the blessing of the Lord is in the house of God and the people of God and they're responding, oh, I love your people, Lord. Would you just empower me? Will you just fill me to overflowing and impart to me a gift so that I am able to move in such a way that I can bring blessing to the body of Christ. I want to be a blessing. I want to uplift my brothers and sisters. I want to see you, Lord, glorified and them helped in a miraculous way. Now, of course, we go into the 14th chapter and you find here that again and again we are told that we are to be zealous for spiritual gifts. And yet, according to verse 12 of chapter 14, it is for the edification of the church. It's not that we are built up. It's not that we suddenly become the star of the show. We are there as a simple servant with the same spirit that Jesus had when he knelt before his disciples and he began to bathe their feet in humility. Do you remember that beautiful upper room act of, of humility and grace? That kind of spirit will delight the Lord if the church has that spirit and that desire to serve. And that's why there is a, a reprimand in a way by the apostle when he says to the church, now look, be careful about speaking in tongues so that the meeting just becomes a rabble of people just chattering away, jabbering away, woo, 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 no, don't do that. Keep very, very quietly to intercede and speak in tongues. Speaking in tongues is a most wonderful personal means of edification. Certainly do that. But, 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 there is a distinction between the initial evidence of speaking in tongues when you're baptized with the Spirit and using tongues as a, to use the charismatic term, a prayer language to edify and to just glorify the Lord. But then there's the third aspect where God with an unknown tongue will break into a meeting and at the appropriate time will speak and his servant, a member of the body, will begin to just speak out in an unknown tongue and there will be a message, a message in that. And there must be an interpretation. That's why the Bible says there must be interpretation. 
If you bless with the Spirit, you are doing that so that there will be a response and people will say, praise God. And they can only do that if there's an interpretation. So what he's saying here is in the gifts of the Spirit, in the whole ministry of the Spirit within the church and within every true consecrated believer is the desire to build up, to edify, and to comfort and exhort. We are never at the local church meeting for our own benefit. We come with the spirit that says, I want to bless my brothers and sisters. I want to bring the life and understanding of the things of God into the local body. Oh, Lord Jesus, make me a blessing out of my life. Let Jesus shine.